Today on Government Matters, another top leader at the Office of Management and Budget says goodbye. The Chief Information Officer of the United States, Suzette Kent, tells you why she's leaving now. Another tech modernization milestone at the General Services Administration. The head of the Technology Transformation Services, Anil Cherian, on what's new and what's next. And fighting the coronavirus at sea and ashore. A top Coast Guard personnel leader on the future of the workplace and the workforce in the Guard. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Trump administration's top information technology leader since 2018 is leaving government. Federal Chief Information Officer Suzette Kent announced this week she'll leave the Office of Management and Budget next month. Suzette, welcome back. Why are you leaving now? Well, Francis, um, first I want to say one thing. I'm not retiring. Um, I have decades more ahead of me of opportunities and things I want to do. Uh, to continue to drive change, but I'm pausing um, for now. But now is the time because there's a terrific team in place. Um, there are so many accomplishments and they're at a fantastic place to continue forward. Everyone in technology knows there's, there's never a stopping point. It's, it's just about what's next. Um, and we've delivered on so many of the PMA objectives the execution is now in really great hands. The agency CIOs proved during the pandemic that they can support and sustain telework. Maria Rote is the queen of driving technology modernization. Grant Snyder has the supply chain strategy in motion. You know, Jordan Burroughs is taking the things that we uh, still need to do on identity and tackling those. The federal data strategy is hitting milestone after milestone every single month. And um, watch on Monday for some great news on sharing quality services. So, so we're really at a place where the execution is going well, and I'm thrilled with the, the leaders who are continuing the path forward. What is different about the federal IT enterprise now, about the landscape, than it was when you came on board in January of 2018, Suzette? Well, Francis, when, when I came on board, one of the... One of the uh, mandates was to bring private sector practices um, and to accelerate modernization. We have all the major policies updated, the agencies, as I said, you know, teleworking at scale, uh, the first ever federal data strategy. We have made meaningful cybersecurity advances, which we have published and shared publicly. Uh, the new model for sharing quality services. We took TMF the day, actually two weeks after I started, it was just a concept. And now it is a proven vehicle where projects are not only delivering, they're also paying back and showing important all of government results. And we have an active network across the councils, uh, I mean, across the government councils, CIO, CISO, CDO, the Solid Council, we're actually doing projects, real projects that are also delivering results. And everything I just talked about has been, is public. And and um, I am excited about that roadmap, lifting the bar. And again, I think the leaders uh, in place across all of the agencies and here at OMB and the OFCIO team um, are laser focused on continuing to deliver.
What didn't you finish that you wish you would be able to see through to the end, Suzette? <laughs> That's the question that still keeps me up at night. <laughs> um, you know, Francis, what we need to do in the area of cybersecurity actually never ends. Um, we have to stay the course on shared services and modernization. I know I've spoken with you on your show and with so many in the community that large-scale technology change, especially with the technical debt that we have and the number of legacy systems, is not always fast. And so we have to stay focused on year-over-year -year change um, and delivering wins so that we can see outcomes, but, but stay focused on those things. Um, we need better funding alignment. Our funding doesn't align to the way technology is delivered and, and there are more mechanisms and more opportunities that we need to explore um, to move that more quickly. And we also learned some things during the response to COVID. I already mentioned um, that need to be accelerated. I already mentioned identity, but we also found needs for interoperable tools. And while we could use some of the data sharing principles from the data strategy, uh, there's a lot more work to do there to make sure that, as especially in places where we're making data-driven decisions, that we have consistency of information and the same information across decision makers. Acknowledging the progress that you and the IT community and government has made over the last year and a half, two years, is that technical debt still the biggest holdup to, to really transforming the way that agencies do business, not just from a technology perspective, but customer experience and all the other elements of the president's management agenda, Suzette? Francis, that's the work effort, but um, much of the, the challenge is still in how we get the work done, ensuring that the technology community, the leadership of the agency, the CFO uh, are, are all connected and that what they're doing is driven by mission and driven by the quality of citizen services that, that they want to deliver. Um, there's a multitude of things to do. We have seen the greatest success when there's clarity of focus and it is supported from the top. I, I know you and I spoke in, in earlier shows about some of the things that happened um, as part of the response. Much of that success was because the focus and everyone was connected on the same agenda. Um, so, you know, as we use the PMA as a vehicle to drive that connection, those are the opportunities that, that still need to be in place going forward um, to address the technical debt, but address it in a way that is supporting mission. Final thought, Suzette, what would you advise the person that succeeds you to focus on as they come into office? Francis, I, I would advise them to focus on the things that are getting in the way and getting in the way for CIOs to be successful in delivering on this agenda. And when I came in, the mandate was to use private sector practices to drive results. In many ways, we were able to do that, but there's still places in acquisition, in funding, and oversight where the government processes are antiquated. In some cases, they actually prevent us from using leading practices. So there are so many talented people in the technology world inside the government. I hope my successor continues to focus on clearing the way and taking away the baggage and letting them do what they can do. They are the most talented, um, passionate professionals that get up every day, focused on doing better things for the American people, and it's been my pleasure to work with them every single day.
Thank you, Francis. Suzette Kent, the Chief Information Officer of the United States, for a little while longer. Glad to know you're not retiring. Look forward to continuing the conversation after you're out of government. Thanks very much. Thank you, sir. Up next, striving for excellence in tech modernization. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the next big move for one of government's biggest agencies. You're watching ABC7. Department of Housing and Urban Development has awarded two new IT modernization contracts as part of its partnership with the General Services Administration's Centers of Excellence project. The Technology Transformation Services in charge of these projects is up to nine agency partners. Anil Cherian is Director of the Technology Transformation Services and Deputy Commissioner of the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration. Anil, welcome. Thanks very much for coming on the program. What, uh, what are we seeing? Why are these uh, contracts important, these two new contracts at HUD? What does it pretend for the Centers of Excellence program? Well, thank you. Thank you, Francis, for having us. Uh, as you know, that uh, HUD was one of our uh, core agencies that we started working with uh, back in uh, late uh, 2018, early 2019. And we've been on a journey with HUD in terms of a lot of the transformation that, that's been going on. And the HUD leadership has been very, very in intensely focused on improving the client experience, improving their whole data analytics space. Their movement to the cloud has been fairly active with a lot of moves away from the data center and so on. So while it took a while to get our um, uh, solutions together, uh, this kind of really demonstrates the, uh, the uh, focus that HUD has on using the center of excellence uh, method to really drive uh, their transformation. So we're honored uh, to be part of that. And uh, HUD is a great, uh, great agency, great leadership. Uh, Irv Dennis uh, was the CFO, uh, David Chow, the CIO, and uh, a lot of the other leadership have been very, very engaged. So we, we really appreciate the work. The leadership issue is one that every agency that I've talked to that's participated in the COE program has said is important not just at the CXO level that you just talked about, but at the secretary and deputy secretary level. What are you seeing as far as collaboration increasing across the enterprise of the COE, not just particularly at HUD, but at all the agencies that are getting involved in you? Yeah, you know, I'd say the COE program is really a, uh, has been a uh, signature program of this administration. And to get it going, it really got started with uh, a few top-down transformation programs with definite uh, engagement from the secretaries of agencies. And uh, as time has gone on and we've really started building the momentum, uh, we're now getting requests from uh, several of agencies. So it's not really a, uh, a White House-only driven uh, set of requirements. It's more agencies are coming to us, right? Agencies are becoming more familiar with the approach and they're joining in and they want to be part of it. And, and so, as you say, uh, rightly so, success is only driven by core engagement, right? Engagement of people at the levels, not just at the secretary level, but also uh, down in you know in, in, uh, management levels and really demonstrating the uh, the uh, intent and focus and commitment and that's really how we've grown to nine agencies it's uh, you know we haven't had to advertise as it much uh, we haven't had to 
you know, drive it top down as much. We're getting the groundswell of uh, requests now as people are seeing, you know, the successes from uh, from the COE approach. It's, it's been really great. Anil, what do agencies ask you when they come to you and say, we want to participate in this? Do they say, is it pretty general? Do they say you're successful and we want some of that? Or are they specific about we have this need that we think we're not really able to do it ourselves and we think you'll be able to help us? Yeah, it's very much a, um, you know, matching their need to what's in our wheelhouse, right? So, uh, you know, we've got six centers. Uh, we uh, primarily uh, do things like, you know, cloud and AI and data and analytics and client experience, contact centers, you know, identity is one that we're creating now. And so there's a lot of um, interest, right? Uh, when when uh, uh, agency comes up, they're, they're basically saying, hey, you know, we have an issue with our cloud migration. Or we have uh, significant amounts of data we need a data strategy, we need a plan, uh, can you help us from the COEs? And there are times when they come to us and it's outside of our wheelhouse and we just say, hey, you know, this is not something that we can do. We were not, you know, you, perhaps you should go somewhere else and, um, you know, we help you find someone if you'd like, but that's not, that's not our, that's not our thing. Mm -hmm. So we pick six areas because we feel those are the significant areas for driving, um, digital transformation. That's, that's really, you know, these six areas that we're working on are really core priorities for, for anyone. It doesn't have to be a government agency. Anyone who wants to drive digital transformation, these are the six areas that we pick. You mentioned that you're 14, 16, 18 months into the Centers of Excellence experience, Anil. And one of the issues that people were concerned about, especially industry observers were concerned about at the beginning, was scalability. Obviously, you're not concerned about that moving from one to nine in the course of that 16 to 18 months. What's the limit look like? At what point do you think you would say, we probably can't find the industry partners with the sufficient talent level to be able to deliver on more than X number of client agencies? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. I, I really don't believe it's an industry limitation issue. I think it's more of a uh, TTS oversight, management, and control issue you know, in terms of the span of control. Uh, you know, there's no way we can do you know, 100 agencies, for example. We just don't have the staff, we don't have the people, and we don't intend to, frankly, have that many staff. Um, and, we, you know, we don't, this is not uh, meant to be a very large organization. We are very selective in how many people we have and how we work with uh, agencies and agency commitments, and uh, we want to be successful. So, there's a, so our limitation is really our own. It's not an industry limitation. I believe the talent is out there in industry, and it's really been the benefit that we've been getting is from that talented industry pool and partnership that's really helped drive a lot of what we've got. So uh, just think of us as really the, 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 what I call the tip of the spear. We work closely with agencies and we tightly work with um, uh, industry to make, uh, make the transformations happen. So it's, a, it's, really, it's really been a great success. And you're going to nine is, uh, is tremendous and there's a significant amount of demand uh, for more. So we, our pace is driven on, on based on our, our span of control and our capabilities. And Neil Cherian, thanks very much for coming on. It's great to see you again. Great, thank you.
Up next, the beginning of hurricane season in the middle of a pandemic. Straight ahead on Government Matters, what's driving the Coast Guard's workforce now and in the future? You're watching ABC7. Welcome back to Coast Guard's gearing up for what could be a tougher than normal hurricane season as it's dealing with coronavirus. Here for a look at what's ahead for guardsmen and the people they serve. Rear Admiral Paul Thomas, Deputy Commandant for Mission Supports, Deputy for Personnel Readiness for the U.S. Coast Guard. Admiral, thanks very much for coming on. What are you looking at right now regarding wellness and the overall care of the guardsmen that you uh, that you work with? Well, first of all, thanks for the opportunity to be here with you this morning and talk to talk about our Coast Guard. You know, since the very onset of COVID and even before a lot of the nation, uh, you know, picked in with the uh, stay-at-home orders, we were focused on force preservation uh, and maintaining our readiness. And in the Coast Guard, uh, you know, we, we have a mission every day and we need to con you know, conduct that mission every day. And so our, our initial measures were aimed at ensuring our workforce um, to be safe and protected uh, and, and get the mission done every day. And we also had to focus a lot on uh, preservation of future readiness. Um, because, as you know, we generate forces that uh, we'll, we'll need in the future because we're losing. And so things like our boot camps and our training centers were a real focus area for us, as they were for the other services. As, as organizations across government are thinking about reopening, what does that look like in a military context to the Coast Guard, sir? Well, first of all, it's not reopening because we, we never closed. We've, we've been operating every day. We've been chasing down drug runners. We've been a very, very busy search and rescue season, as you said. We're preparing for a robust uh, hurricane season. Now, that said, um, there are places around the Coast Guard where more people are teleworking than have been before. Uh, and, and we certainly did what many people did, which was invest in that capability to increase our bandwidth and to allow our workforce to be as productive as possible um, where they were safest at home. Uh, we also have a portion of our workforce that really can't conduct their work at home. If you think of things like shipyard, where our ships are repaired, or the places where our aircraft uh, go in for depot level maintenance, we cannot afford uh, to stop that maintenance for any, any significant period of time, or we just will not have the ships and the airports in the, in, the, uh, in the fleet. So we've taken special precautions in those places to ensure our workforce can work. We can maintain our, our mission readiness, but we can keep them safe as well. And quite honestly, We've been very successful, very small number of cases uh, throughout our 88,000 employees. You think about that many people and under 200 uh, cases. We think the measures we've taken have been effective. What, what kind of a sense do you have right now of how workflows might change as permanently as a result of COVID and what you've changed that might change back after the pandemic is over? Yeah, well, as I mentioned, in those places where we can be productive um, and telework, for, for example, one of our functions is we have a, a group of engineers who do very technical work reviewing uh, commercial vessel systems and standards. And, and they've been effective working from home, and we know that because we have measures in terms of how much work gets done. The thing about the Coast Guard and, and the other services, it's, it's not just about getting work done. There's a big part of our job that has to do with uh, building the leaders and the professionals that we know will have the future, and, and a lot of that really cannot be done by telework. So I envision uh, in the future of the Coast Guard will involve more telework, um, but it will also maintain 
those things that make us unique as an organization. A lot of that comes from face-to-face -face communications and work, teamwork. And as you know, there's a there's a body of research that, that says uh, there's a sweet spot for telework on which uh, you begin to lose uh, teamwork and some innovation as well. So we're, we're going to find that sweet spot. Uh, it's going to differ where, depending on where you are in our service. Obviously, if you're on a cutter and you're deployed to the East Pack, there's no teleworking there. But we'll find a sweet spot. What will you do to find that sweet spot? How will you measure the effectiveness that you're getting from the people who are teleworking versus the need for collaboration, having people working together face-to-face, side-by-side, sir? Yeah, you know, I think we're going to feel our way through that. And again, it's going to, it, you know, we're, we're highly decentralized uh, in terms of where we execute our mission. So our local commanders are empowered to find that sweet spot. Uh, as the commanding officer of Coast Guard headquarters, you know, I'm, I'm working hard to figure out what that looks like. Uh, and, and I think we will. We'll, we'll bring our workforce back as it's safe. We've already brought um, a good number back to the workplace. They're not here five days a week, um, but but as we return, uh, we'll probably return people to the telework status that they were in before COVID-19, and then we'll work on uh, allowing more people to telework more often, but doing it in a way that allows our, our teams to be effective and our, our particular military workforce to grow professionally, become the leaders that we need. Admiral Thomas, thanks very much for joining me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every one of our newscasts by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 22828. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 10.30 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.